Hello, friends, and welcome to another Robcast. And uh, this is, I've been doing this series called The Thing in the Air. And uh, so we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to do the last one of these ideas. There were these things that I was like, I have to say some stuff about this stuff. And um, so here we go. We're at the very end. This is The Thing in the Air. And once again, I've been switching. I've been doing everything I possibly can with pen and paper. So I'm trying to spend as little time in Screenland as possible. I like to visit Screenland for 20 minutes a day if I have to. Otherwise, pen and paper, baby. So there it is right there. Can you hear that paper? Uh, so I have some notes in my notebook written with pen, written with my Mont Blanc pen, Mont Blanc. And... Uh, so, this episode's called The Thing in the Air Part, whatever the part is, um, The Lie of Redemptive Violence. So, I want to introduce you to The Lie of Redemptive Violence because once you see it, you're going to see it everywhere. And it's so absolutely necessary that we need millions of people to see The Lie of Redemptive Violence because once you see it, then... There's no way that you don't start living differently, and it can change the whole thing. So yeah, I've sort of this whole series been building up to this one. In the last episode, where we talked about an introduction to Third Way, I sort of touched on this, but we need to... Uh, this is like the crescendo. This is the moment the orchestra is at full volume, you know, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> oh, raise your glasses. So good already. We're on fire. Oh, a couple of things. I have a new book coming out, and I'm so happy to tell you about it. The book is called What is the Bible? So the title is a question mark, is a question, and the subtitle is How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. <laughs> so I'm actually, my goal is to win an award for the longest subtitle ever. You know I love titles, and you know I love subtitles. Uh, but that one, I'm hoping that subtitle, you know... That's something right there. <laughs> so the book comes out May 16th, and you can pre-order it now at my site, robbill.com. And uh, there's a bunch of bonus material you can get if you order through my site now, and it's not in the book. Although the book is interesting enough, I think it's twice as long as any of my other books, um, which for me, um, I'm, I work very hard to make my books short, but this one's just a monster. Um, and uh, then I'm gonna do a little. I'm gonna do a bookstore tour, and that'll be in May. So I'm going to uh, do in-store bookstore events. I think a couple bookstores won't. It won't fit. So we'll be at like a theater nearby or something. But um, all that's at my site: Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City, Seattle, Portland, Denver, Minneapolis, and Ohio. Are you ready, Ohio? Because I am coming to Ohio on the What is the Bible Bookstore Tour. So I would love to see you all there. All that info is at robbell.com. And then, uh, oh, one other thing. This summer in August, I'll be teaching at Multiversity 1440. And Multiversity 1440 is a campus in the Redwoods near Santa Cruz. Uh, how great is that? Like a a campus in the woods, and I'm telling you, these people are very interesting, and they have all sorts of fascinating 
um, teachers and classes and yoga and food. And it's a, I'm just, I was so fascinated with what they're doing. And then um, I got invited to teach a weekend immersion workshop. So I will be teaching at multiversity1440.org. 1440.org is where you can get info and sign up for my class, which is this summer. I'll be teaching, it's called Your Atomic Self. A few thoughts, I think it's called A Few Thoughts on the Science of the Soul. And I'll be doing all this new um, content, uh, all this new teaching I've been doing about the soul, the science of the soul. And... Uh, yeah, so would love to hang out with you in the Redwoods. How much fun would that be? And that's happening this summer in 1440.org. You can get all the info there. There we go. There's a couple things going on. But now, you and me, let's talk about the lie of redemptive violence. So here's what it is. The lie of redemptive violence is the illusion, is the untruth, that if somebody does something wrong, unjust, violent to you, that you can make it right by doing something wrong, unjust, or violent back to them. You got, you got that? So the, the myth of redemptive violence, the lie of redemptive violence, is that a, a corresponding act of violence will make things right, will redeem the situation. And it's a lie, and it's not true. And it is, it's so deeply embedded in the human story, uh, which, is, which is why we need to talk about it, is once you see it, you'll see it everywhere because it's so deeply ingrained. It's one of those things that's so close. It's so natural. It's so a part of the furniture that once you see it and you realize it, then you can't unsee it. But until then... It just goes on unnoticed because it's so sort of how many people see things. Now, to sort of get into what we're talking about here, I was on a plane recently and I saw the movie Jack Reacher. It's a Tom. It's a Tom Cruise movie. And in the movie, if I were to do the mo <laughs> here we go, the worst, most primitive cinema analysis ever. The movie was basically, there's this good guy named Jack Reacher, and there's some bad guys, and some bad guys did some bad things. So Jack Reacher comes and does some bad things to them, and then they do some bad things back to Jack Reacher. Then he does some bad things, and then it looks like they do some bad things that are so bad that it looks like he's losing like oh it might be over but then he does some stuff and gets away and in the end the bad guy does some bad stuff but not enough and the good guy does some bad stuff and eventually the good guy wins not to be confused with a movie i saw the other night john wick part two i didn't see part one i only saw part two and in john wick there's some bad guys who have done some bad stuff whoa the good guy Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves slash John Wick does some bad stuff to the bad guys. The bad guys get angry. They do some bad stuff to the good guy. The good guy then does some bad stuff. The bad guys then burn down the house of the good guy. So the good guy then goes on a tear and like bodies are dropping left and right. The bad guys retaliate. It looks like the good guy might be taken out, but then the good guy does some bad things to the bad guys in the end. 
and that's the movie. How do you like? Boy, I <laughs> how do you like my analysis of movies? But what's fascinating, and I'm saying this because for my point is this: if you grew up watching cartoons, bad guy does some bad stuff. Good guy does some bad stuff to the bad guy. The bad guy then retaliates and does some bad stuff to the good guy. The good guy then retaliates and does some bad stuff to the bad guy. And eventually the good guy wins because he does the bad thing to the bad guy before the bad guy can do another bad thing to the good guy. Are you with me on this? I mean, this goes from cartoons all the way to movies with budgets in the tens of millions of dollars. And here's why I point out this pattern is the way that the narrative works in every one of these situations is each party, each side, the bad guys and the good guys, keeps the violence in circulation. The one does this to the other. The other responds with this. The other then responds with that. The other then responds with that. The other then burns down his house. The other then kills his dog. The other then kidnaps his girlfriend. The other then, are you with me on this? You've seen that. The other then gets a rocket launcher. The other then jumps a car out of a plane with a parachute. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It goes back and forth, back and forth. When video games first started, there was this one called Pong, and it was... Uh, like these two lines, and it was basically like ping pong on a screen, but it was just two lines and then a ball that was square. They hadn't yet figured out how to make a digital ball square, so it was like a pixel, and then it would go from one side, and you could only slide the two lines up and down, and so it'd be like, bong, bong, bong. Um, you enjoying that, by the way? Bong, bong. And basically, Pong, this game, was a, was a little digital ball that just went back and forth. And when you see movies like this, what you're seeing is you're seeing essentially narrative Pong, which is the Pong of violence. The one side does this to the other side. The other then responds. The other then gets revenge. The other then says, I'll teach you who you're dealing with. The other says, oh, we're going to even the score. And back, bong, bong, back. And forth it goes. And it's true in movies. It's why you can do John Wick Part 2 and why there'll be a Jack Reacher Part 3. Because, and it's true with ex-wives and ex-husbands. It's true in communities. It's true in politics. It's true between nations. You bomb us. We bomb you. You bomb us. It's the lie of redemptive violence, which is if I do a corresponding act of antagonism, violence, or injustice, I can make this situation better. I can fix it with another act of violence. You see it with the death penalty. How do we teach people not to kill people? How about we kill people? And that will teach people that killing people is wrong. We'll teach them that killing people is wrong by killing people who kill people. And it doesn't work because it keeps the violence in circulation. And it's so deep in the human bones 
that when you point out this lie of redemptive violence, that an act of violence can actually have redemptive power, when you point this lie out, once you see it, my Robcast friends, you can't unsee it. It's all around us. We are surrounded by it. Now, here's why this is so important right now. It's important at every level, relationally, from just two former lovers trying to figure out how not to destroy each other with their words all the way to nations. But uh, the day after the election, one of my favorite musicians on Instagram was lamenting that the election did not go the way he wanted it to and said, we've been knocked down, bloodied, we got punched in the face, but give us a minute, we'll pick ourselves up, we'll dust ourselves off, and then we're going to punch back. You, you with me on this, right? Just give us a minute, and then we will punch back. And, and what you are seeing right now is lots of self-proclaimed, evolved, enlightened, rational, educated, sophisticated folks. Just give us a moment. Right now it may be dark and the people we don't want in power are in power. Just give us a moment and we'll punch back. Anytime you hear language like this, what is this? What is this? This, my friends, is the lie of redemptive violence. Give me my opportunity and I will do something just as mean, nasty, and brutish back, and that will make it better. And here is the problem. When you're stuck in the myth, the narrative, the story of redemptive, when you're stuck believing that violence can be redemptive of any form, words all the way to bombs, the reason why it's so lethal is no one ever learns anything. Jack Reacher ends with Jack Reacher hitchhiking to the next town. So the bad guys have been caught and brought to justice. Fantastic. But what's so fascinating is if you watch very carefully, it doesn't appear as though the hero has learned anything. That's why cartoons could show you the same cartoon every Saturday morning for your entire youth because the good guy never learns anything. No one ever learns anything when they're stuck in the lie of redemptive violence. And so right now, what you have, you, ha you have it all across culture, is you have people like, oh, well, just give us our turn, and then we'll get back up and we'll punch back. And it doesn't work, which is why last episode we talked about third way. You have to, as you can see how these, all these ideas begin to connect with each other, is you have to move to third way. If you and your ex-spouse have been ponging the nastiness and the verbal jabs back and forth, and no one has actually learned, if you're still years later stuck in the same ruts, then the question is, what could I learn here to break this cycle, and here's the phrase, take the violence, hatred, nastiness out of circulation. Otherwise, bong, 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 back and forth. By the way, side note, is this why people wear crosses? 
You didn't see that coming, did you? Is this why people wear crosses, like as jewelry, on a t-shirt? People who wouldn't consider themselves religious or anything, you see the cross is like a cultural icon. It's just endured for thousands of years. Have you ever seen an AK-47 pair of earrings? No, you haven't. Have you ever seen somebody who's like, dude, check out my guillotine tattoo? No, no. Have you ever seen someone like with a, look at my sarin gas bracelet? No, you haven't, but you see crosses all the time. Why? Well, what is the cross about? It is a story of Jesus being crucified. Why is that interesting? Because he's crucified by the Roman Empire, this massive military juggernaut that crushed everybody in their path. And why is that interesting? The cross calls out the lie of redemptive violence. Jesus goes to his death and is executed rather than retaliate and keep the violence in circulation. Do you see why this was a major moment in human evolution? If somebody came along and said, it's better to die than to retaliate and keep the violence in circulation. They do this to you, you do this to them, they do this to you. It's somebody who says, enough. So the, the cross is enough. And what it is, it is raises the question, is there some other way to be human? Or when you have somebody come after you, you have to come back. If somebody does something nasty to you, then obviously you have to do something nasty back. Or is there some other way to be human. So Jesus goes to his death insisting that there is another way to be human. Is this why, why people wear crosses? Is because we all desperately want to believe there's some other way to be human because we're tired of the lie of redemptive violence. They bombed us, well, we'll bomb them. It's exhausting, and it isn't working. By the way, when Jesus says, take up your cross, and people are like, oh, see, take up your cross, it means you, whatever you enjoy doing, you should not do it, and whatever sounds awful, you should do that, because that will somehow make some divine being somewhere happy. No, take up your cross means what? It means imagine that there's another way to be human, and then orient your life around a non-violent way of being in the world. Now, we're going to talk about suffering in a second because suffering is intimately tied in with calling out the, the myth of redemptive violence. But side note on that side note, if you've ever heard somebody explain the cross in terms of, oh, well, God needed to kill his son. By the way, God is a he. God is beyond gender anyway. Let's just begin there. But that God needed to kill God's son because... Uh, then God could be happy or a son, Jesus needed to die so that God could make peace. You realize what that is? That is the myth of redemptive violence in religion. That is, actually, that is actually a God who's justice stuck. Those ideas about how a God, a God who needs violence is a, to make things right. A God who needs violence to make things right is a God who's stuck believing the lie of redemptive violence just like everybody else. That's a God that's as dumb as human beings have been for thousands of years. We don't need a God like that. That God can't help us. So that God needs to die. We need to leave that God behind. The Interestingly enough, when people tell you that story about the cross, 
they're actually telling you a story that perpetuates the myth of redemptive violence, which is often why those folks then will are, are the first ones to go to war um, and to perpetuate violence because their God and the, their animating story is a story of redemptive violence. It's violent to the core. The cross is the opposite of that, which makes me, boy, you get me rolling on the super religious folks who use this to justify violence, the cross calls out the myth of redemptive violence. It's not about the perpetuating of violence. It's about the end of violence. This man would is killed on a cross rather than keep the violence in circulation. This is a whole this opens up a whole new era in human consciousness. This is not stepping backward in the same old patterns of you do this to us, we do this to you. This is about a new era in human evolution where we leave behind these same old patterns. The cross raises all of these questions. Is there another way to be human? Is there another way to be a nonviolent way to be human? So the, the I mean, these stories are sort of deep in my bones, but the fact that people have used the story of the cross to perpetuate the myth of redemptive violence when it actually it is calling it out and it is calling us to leave it behind. Well, that's why I'm doing this right now. As I'm telling you, every time you see a cross, read it like a question. Is there a better way to be human? Is there a better? Could we leave these old patterns behind? Because see, here's the thing. You, in, in your most difficult relationships, maybe you went to work in an office and partway, a, a week in, you were like, why are the people in accounting, why are they so weird towards the people in marketing? And why are the people in sales, what's going on? And you begin to find, oh, this happened, and then this person said this. Anybody, maybe you married into a family and you're like, how come uncle so-and-so is never around? What happened and then you find out, oh, so-and-so said this to so-and-so, so-and-so didn't invite so-and-so to this. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oftentimes, uh, communities, offices, family systems, neighborhoods, something happened, and then somebody kept the violence, the anger, the nastiness in circulation by responding in kind, and then this person, by responding similarly, so then this person was like, oh, so that's how you want to play it. So they came back to them. I'm sure you've seen this before. And then you step in. You're like, why are there landmines everywhere? It's because of the myth of redemptive violence. Oh, you did this to me? Nobody saw it as the lie that it is and was willing to take it out of circulation. So it just goes round and round and round and round. So when you see a cross, ask yourself, is there some other way to be here? Is there something that I can take out of circulation? See, it's a deeply, deeply, deeply personal question. Do I have to perpetuate the same old cycles? Or can I be one of those people who steps into a new way of being in the world? Now, a couple of thoughts about this. Uh, we should talk about them and us, unity, refusal, and... Uh, then we'll talk about some other things. <laughs> How's that sound? I was going to give you like a nice, neat, we're going to talk about this, this, and this, and then I realized, but we might keep going. Um, first, generally the myth of redemptive violence 
the the ball is kept in play by keeping very stringent categories in play of them and us. So there's the good guy and the bad guy. You're always the good guy. No one's ever like, you know, I'm the bad guy. But no, no. The way that it works is you have to keep the categories set up the way they are. So winners and losers, um, pathetic and successful. Um, you'll notice people who are trapped in the, the myth of redemptive violence talk about other people in very strict black and white categories. Because the way that it works is you have to, to justify your actions, you have to have somebody who is clearly the bad guy, and then the bad guy does this, which then allows you to justify doing something just as bad. They bombed us. We bombed them. The way that it works is them doing something wrong, immoral, violent, unjust, then gives you the excuse to not to toss out your own moral code. Well, I'm doing this. Yeah, but what you're doing is violent. Uh, yeah, but you should see what they did to me. Since when, by the way, does somebody else's actions mean that you toss up your own moral code? You have a sense of right and wrong. Since when does somebody else doing something wrong mean that your sense of right and wrong gets tossed out the window? So you'll often notice that when people are most trapped in the lie, have most bought the lie of myth of redemptive violence, what they do then is they have to, they have to maintain these strong categories. Oh, bad guy, loser, pathetic. Um, and obviously you can see why then basic bigotry and racism is usually just a half breath away because you have to make somebody else a thing which justifies you doing what you're doing, which often is wrong immoral, unjust. Now, here's why this is interesting. Think about Nelson Mandela. He's imprisoned, what is it, for 27 years? Under apartheid? Mandela is released from prison. And how oh, those images of him walking out of the prison. Does he then say, you whites who kept me in prison... I'm going to take over and we're going to show you whites what it looks like to be oppressed and what it looks like to have the boot on your neck. We're going to show you. No. What does he do? Mandela comes out of prison and talks about us. Us. And when he says us, he means South Africa. And when he says South Africa and he says us, he means blacks and whites. So what Mandela does is instead of keep it in circulation us and them. He calls everybody to a deeper us that all the us and them categories are actually swallowed up by. So you think right now in America, these profound divisions, ideological, uh, these, inc these massive divisions that exist. The only way we will ever move forward is if we get, begin to talk about the us that undergirds and transcends all of the ways that we have divided ourselves. So when somebody's like, well, all of these ridiculous Americans, and they're an American, there is a truth beneath whatever ways that we have divided ourselves. Left, right, liberal, conservative, stupid, informed, coast, 
center, however you want to do that, the great movements forward will always occur when somebody can identify the us that undergirds all that. If you are an American citizen, then there is an us. And you are my fellow citizen. Regardless of how you voted, regardless of your views, regardless of your ideology, regardless of there is an us that trans, you know what? There is an us that trumps. <laughs> Come on now. There is an us that trumps all of our us thems. Do you like that, my friends? That is true for any country. That is true for any group. And you will only make progress. The real learning occurs when you can move from whatever the categories are of division to the integral theorists called a superordinate, to the superordinate, the thing that is true for everybody. Now, the moment you say that, there's some people like, yeah, but they're wrong. Yeah, but they're racist. Yeah, but they don't have the facts. Yeah, but they're making fake news. Okay, okay. That's true. So here's the thing. If you're going to call out the myth of redemptive violence, oftentimes the great ones who called it out appealed to an to a truth that united everybody, something bigger that everybody was a part of. And that meant you had to have the capacity for a diversity that could exist within a larger unity. See, for many people, a unity and diversity are two different things. Is it all diverse or is everybody together? But higher states of consciousness always have the capacity for greater complexity. And greater complexity is when you come to see diversities that can exist within a larger unity. By the way, side note, that's what the Genesis poem that the Bible begins with is about. Like that poem where, where the poet is like, and then God made this, and then God made that, and then God spoke, and then it was these trees and birds and fish and animals and it's all according to its kind and according to its kind. And this was made according to its kind. According to its kind is basically ancient Jewish language, ancient Hebrew language for diversity and difference. And it's like the poet wants you to know there is a seamless unity that undergirds all this. But in the midst of that seamless unity is massive, fantastic diversity. So diversity and unity are not opposing values. The one exists. It is a subset of the other. Are you with me now? Raise your glasses. So uh, what you will notice is the people who actually change the game, they understand that all of this friction and tension that comes from diversity exists within a larger unity. And that helps you keep your cool. Yeah, I think some of my fellow citizens have completely lost their marbles. I cannot believe the things that they support and approve and condone. This is shocking. We have descended to an all-time low. I'm losing my mind. And these are my fellow citizens, and we are all in this together. Do you see what we just did? We packed all kinds of things into that sentence. And we'll only go forward if we all can begin from our us-ness. So you and I see things totally differently. We can't even begin to imagine how somebody could see how things the way the other sees it, and yet there is a unity that undergirds all of that difference. And if we can sit on top of that, and we can dance with that, 
all sorts of interesting things can happen. So a Nelson Mandela, who does this unbelievable thing in South Africa, he does it because he understands that there is an us that transcends all the us-thems that we have created. You know you're beginning to transcend the myth of redemptive violence and leave it behind when you find yourself, even it's like little rays of light that just shine through for a second. You know you're onto it when suddenly somebody who you always saw across the way as the them, you have this little flash of connection. Oh, they have kids too. Oh, they have fear and sometimes I have fear. Oh, they're just trying to pay the bills. Well, I know what it's like to just try to pay the bills. You'll notice the lie begins to crumble when you can, when spending all that energy making us and them, you start to get weary of it. And you really know you're making progress when somebody who you think they're completely mental and insane and stupid and you think that they're the problem, you find yourself, ah, but that is the fellow citizen. That is a member of my community. That is a neighbor. That is... Well, at a deepest level, the biggest superordinate at some point was we're all in the same universe sharing the same planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. All human beings, we're all citizens of the same debris, ball of debris hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's make this really personal. You know you're making progress when that person from your extended family who ever th every Thanksgiving manages to say something that makes you completely crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know you're making progress when that person that you work with who is like human sandpaper, they, they literally have a way of getting under your skin and just making you irate. You know you're making progress when you have this tiny flash of solidarity of commonality but we both are in this office just trying to make a good product but this is blood this is family and i may not have to ever see them again but i can at least begin with they're just trying to figure it out like i'm just trying to figure it out you that's when that's it's the most painful relationships in people when you find yourself i'm tired of keeping the violence in circulation and oftentimes it begins with just a tiny glimpse of Oh, we are just in this together. Okay, a couple other thoughts. Uh, and this one, um, this took me years to understand and to begin to practice. And it's like a muscle that you have to learn to exercise. But if you decide, if you see the myth of redemptive violence, if you see ways in which you've bought into the lie of, of redemptive violence, and you decide that you are going to refuse to keep it in circulation, whatever it is, if you decide that you are not going to keep whatever it is in circulation, you're not going to do the mean, nasty, brutish, violent, petty pong. Pong, pong. I did this to you. You did this. You did this to me. I did this to you. If you decide you're going to refuse to keep whatever it is in circulation, maybe this is with your ex-spouse, and he fills the kids when he has them on the weekend with bad ideas about you. And so then the kids come back to you and they have to like detox and they have all this stuff built up against you. And now you're like, oh yeah, well, do you want me to talk about your father? Let me tell you what kind of man he is. Like, you know what I'm talking about. If you refuse to keep it in circulation, it may mean that you appear to lose. Are you with me on this? 
If you decide not to participate and not to keep it in circulation, it may look like you've lost. So let's say you're a rapper and you're in a Twitter battle with another rapper. <laughs> How is that for a great example? Let's say you're in a Twitter battle with another rapper and suddenly you're like, what am I doing in a Twitter battle? And so you stop tweeting about them. It may look like you lost. Let's say uh, you went through a divorce and there's a whole friend group and the friend group is deciding who they're going to side with. And so you're making your case about why your former spouse is the one who's misguided and wrong and your hands are clean. If you decide to stop arguing your case, they may only then hear the other person's case for why you're the one who's responsible for the breakup of the marriage and you're the one who's morally suspect, et cetera, et cetera. It may look like you've lost. If you're campaigning and you decide you're not going to do negative ads, you may lose. Like you might actually lose. Like you may lose the campaign. Um, you may lose. You may lose. If you decide not to bomb them when they bombed you, because bombing back and forth doesn't work. We have thousands of years of data that these sorts of things don't work. It may look like you, maybe, um, I have a friend who's been criticized online and <laughs> I have a friend and people say horrible things and you can jump in on Facebook and start swinging punches and yeah, you can do that, you know, and make accusations against people you've never met in flesh and blood. Uh, it may look, then all people may get is those people, the critics, and they might not get you defending every criticism that they have brought your way. It may look, it may look like you've appeared to lose. You may get crucified um, and die because you didn't keep the violence in circulation. And uh, that's why images like taking up your cross are so loaded, is if you set out to make a new kind of world, a world where the violence isn't kept in circulation, you at times may look like you've lost because you've refused to play the game. You're not playing the game anymore. And there may be all sorts of pain because of that. But it's the pain that comes from making a new kind of world. This is why the enlightened ones, this is why the wise ones, the sages, the mystics, the ones who actually change the game, this is why they rarely walk around boasting. You know? They rarely walk around like, we got this. They often walk with a limp. Because when you see a better way, when you, when you have a new vision for what it means to be human, you're going to end up confronting the old vision. <laughs> Excuse me. And you may sneeze. Um, when you have a new vision for how things could be, you will inevitably find yourself in conflict with the old vision. And if you choose to do it nonviolently and not keep the violence in circulation, the old vision may come out with guns firing 
And it may look like you've lost. But it's also how the whole thing changes. It's, it's actually how it works. So, so the, the question underneath all of this is, is a new way of being possible? Is there a new order that can come about? Is there a new way to be human? Do we have to stay trapped in the myth of redemptive violence, the lie, the illusion that a corresponding act of violence can make things better? Because here's the thing. Someone has to go first. So everybody's got their swords out and they're swinging away. And a new kind of world, a new kind of office space, a new kind of dynamic in the home, a new kind of political atmosphere, it will only emerge when somebody is willing to set their sword down, to put their sword back in the sheath. To say, no, I'm not going to play the game that way. I'm not going to put out negative ads. I'm not going to do a Twitter battle. I'm not going to say one unkind word about my ex. I'm not going to go on Facebook every time someone throws shade my way and just start throwing grenades back. Somebody has to go first. And it may look like that person is losing. They may actually lose something. It may look like they're taking a public beating, but somebody has to go first. Somebody has to go first. That's how it works. And the great ones, the enlightened ones, there's always an element of bravery and courage. They insist that a new world is possible. And it always involves some form of suffering. Yeah, because you're confronting a whole thing. And so for those of you who perhaps everything I've said so far, you're like, oh my word, that's it, that's it. Yeah, and you're thinking, yeah, but it's, but if I were to do that, if I were to walk that way, but I'm, I, there's no guarantee. What if people, you're right. What if people don't understand? Yeah, you're right. Trust me, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, people might not understand. Well, what if people completely misread my motives? Yep, that could happen. What if my tribe shuns me and disowns me? Yep, that could happen. All of your, but that, all of the things that you can cook up for what might happen, might happen. Trust me on this. Trust me on this. It might happen. And it may be 10 times worse than anything you can imagine. That could happen. People might start to hate you. Like people with hundreds of thousands of followers might start to despise you. And they might go after you publicly to try and discredit and destroy you. They may literally just make up things about you that aren't true. Yep, 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 that might happen. That might happen. That might happen. But it all raises these profound questions. Is a better kind of world possible? Can people really take up their crosses? Uh, The cross is this icon. Is it also a question? Can the violence stop here? So, So let's go back to the cross. In some ways, the cross, so there are these sayings of Jesus on the cross, but if you were thinking about... Like, what is he saying with his actions? What he's saying with his actions is the violence stops here. So how can you and I live the kind of lives that announce the violence stops here? I will not 
keep it in circulation. And I'll go to my death before I'll keep it in circulation because otherwise no one ever learns anything. That, my friends, is a brief introduction to the myth, the lie of redemptive violence. My hope, my prayer uh, is that you see this and it sparks within you such a desire to be a part of something else. Perhaps you've got a sword in some relationship or position or job or something that you're in. Maybe the sword is sort of like posture of your heart or you have just been swinging. Maybe it literally is your Twitter account and you're really like, am I, am I actually making anything better with this? Uh, that's actually one of the most penetrating questions you can ask. Is this, am I making a new kind of world here or am I just keeping the old one in circulation? And uh, maybe for you, it's just as simple as taking your, putting your sword down. Maybe there is somebody who you've been in a pong with back and forth, been in a pong with, how's that for a sentence? And you need to go to them and say, I just want you to know I'm putting down my sword. I'm, I'm putting it down. You will never from me receive another one of the kinds of things, emails, whatever, uh, that I have been sending your way. Oh yeah, if everybody did this, talk, you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, it would change the whole game. And you can, of course, you can see why the people who first heard that somebody had called out the myth of redemptive violence, people called that, you know what they called it? They called it good news. So may you, my brothers and sisters, may you hear the good news and may you act on it. May you drop your sword and may you refuse to keep the violence in circulation. And in doing that, may you help bring about a new world. Grace and peace, my friends.